Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin. I'm so thrilled that you tuned in, and maybe you've been listening before, maybe you've been watching the video version of this on my website at davidaveron.com. Regardless, welcome to the show. We talk to business owners, we talk to entrepreneurs and others about how do you stand out and stand apart in a competitive marketplace. There's a lot of ways to do it. You can do it with clever marketing, you can do it by envisioning and crafting and delivering a superior customer uh, customer experience, but you can also do it, and I think one of the things that's really important, it's going to be relevant to today's show, is by ensuring that that everybody's on message. Now, we hear that a lot, but on message, um, I think at, a, at its core means that we're all on the same page in terms of the message. I think as you go through an organization, some people are customer face, facing, some are not, some people are in operations or logistics or in finance, and the question is, does everybody interpret who we are and what we do in the same way? Are we creating an army of ambassadors within our organization who are singing our praises, but are they singing the same freaking song or are they talking about it in their own terms? And sometimes I think as leaders, we make assumptions as to the verbiage that's being used by our people to describe who we are and what we do. So today we're gonna talk about managing the message and nobody better to do that than Dr. Jim Carr. Uh, And he spells it just because for those who might be looking it up, While we're doing the show here, it's K-A-R-R-H, Dr. Jim Carr, K-A-R-R-H. He's an expert at helping business professionals and entire companies do um, help manage the message. Most professionals admit to having a lot more confidence in what they have to offer than how they talk about it. The good news is there are simple and practical ways to connect with your customers. And Dr. Jim Carr helps you do that. Um, In turn, it helps you produce better customer relationships, improve sales, stronger brands, more employee engagement, and certainly a lot less frustration. Um, He's been a a junior corporate banker. He's been a small market radio station owner. We talked a little bit on off air about our earlier days in radio as well. Uh, Today, he's a consultant and a coach and a professional speaker. He's He's worked to help clients on three continents, including associations, small businesses, high growth tech firms, um, North America's largest martial arts organization, and and many members of the Fortune 500. He's the author of the brand new book. You're gonna wanna pick that up, and we're gonna pitch it again later on as well. The brand new book is called The Science of Customer Connections, Managing Your Message to Grow Your Business. He knows that you don't have to be a PhD, though he is. Um, and an extrovert or a brilliant conversationalist to bring your stories to life. It just involves a process he calls managing the message. So big welcome to uh, Dr. Jim Carr. Jim, thanks for being with us. David, great to uh, speak with you again. Don't hold the PhD part against me, please. No, it's here. Much much like uh, what you talk about from the stage and and with your clients, uh, all of this is designed to be bite-sized, practical. It's grounded in reality. Uh, grounded in what we know about the way that people get information, share information, and use it. You know, and and a lot of us do it sort of anecdotally, and I I will freely admit to being one of those guys, but I think we rely on on others who do the real research. You know, it's not that everything we're pulling it out of your backside, but but for people who do some great research, whether it's it's a, a Jim Collins or or, or others who are who are research based, um, I, I love what Jay Bear has done with talk triggers as well. Uh, 
I want to know what you've learned. I mean, we all sort of start with a hypothesis. We yeah. see how it manifests within business in terms of, of where there's a disconnect, where there's ineffectiveness. What have you learned through your research? What are we doing poorly and how do we do it better? Well, David, and I'm, I'm a few years away from when I was an active researcher. I actually have had a very, as we'd say, a circuitous path to what I'm doing now. I, I have been a, uh, I was a university professor. I was teaching marketing and teaching management and, and all that to undergraduates and MBAs and then had a, had a research program. I committed academic heresy. I, uh, the year after I made tenure, I was lured back by a, a client back in the private sector and I was a chief marketing officer for uh, a medium-sized private company. So putting all that stuff to use and for about the past decade or so, I've been working with sales teams, subject matter experts, uh, business owners, associations, as you mentioned, in terms of ways that they can grow without necessarily having to change their price or their product mix or their people or how they distribute. It's simply there, about the way you talk about your business. Right. There's something to be said for working in the trenches. Um, yes. There's the old adage that isn't always the case. It says the, those who don't do teach. Um, you're one of those people who've done both. You've, you've taught it, you, you've explored it in the real world, but you've seen in the last decades how some of the, um, the challenges with, with communication or miscommunication or inconsistent communication have hampered the efforts of organizations to grow. Absolutely, David. And I, as I take a, a long look across different types of, of businesses and their leaders and their owners, and I can tell you in, in the trenches, across the fruited plain and across uh, around all the places where I've been, I've seen a few patterns of very big gaps. These are Grand Canyon-esque in terms of, um, of, of confidence gaps, of knowledge gaps, uh, sometimes leaders making assumptions or they're just going by what they've been told or what's been traditional over time. Right. And, and one of them, and I, sometimes even I have been surprised by what I've learned along the way. I think we have to keep ourselves with the capacity, you know, to, to question our own assumptions over time. Sure. And one of the ones, this came from uh, another researcher, a guy named Jonah Berger, wrote a book called Contagious. Um, he's a Wharton School guy and, and does a lot of consulting and the like. And he was looking specifically at where word of mouth happens. And, and the big uh, divide there in terms of, do you think it happens more these days online and online ratings and reviews, social media, et cetera, which sure. we know is, is, is important and people pay a lot of attention to and they should, or old fashioned kind of traditional analog offline conversations, the kind that we have in a hallway or at a ball field or, or in our neighborhood or a house of worship or whatever that might be. Now, I thought uh, this day and age that probably is roughly 50-50 with the, the digital online world gaining steam uh, fast. What he found and this number might surprise you and a lot of the listeners and viewers as well, is that 93% of word of mouth happens offline, not trackable. It's in just conversations that people have more naturally with, with one another. Seven, right, a clarify for me, is this word of mouth that's considered effective word of mouth? I mean, clearly we're able to scale online and reach millions yes. where we wouldn't be able to do otherwise unless we're standing in front of, of throngs of people, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> delivering oratory. So you're talking about right. really the effective kinds of word of mouth that actually elicit the behavior that we're looking for is, is more in person than online. 
Yes, it's, it's kind of yes to both in a sense of part of it, he was uh, looking at where the, the conversation happens. So sure. clearly, you and I in our conversation today, it's going to be seen and heard by lots and lots of people. Whereas you and I were just talking offline, right. just with the two of us. But us. certainly that real-time conversation that people have with their friends and colleagues, uh, that's far more effective. It makes a whole lot more difference in terms of the decisions they make and where they spend their money. And so... Um, again, I was really surprised there may be some people in some industries like hospitality or restaurants and, and the like that would say, whoa, 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 whoa. In our world, it's, it's not going to be to that degree. And I'd say, yes, certainly those, those online reviews, the social media posts and the Instagram and, and all of that does play a role. Right. And they're but being accessed looking, probably more, but, but not necessarily yeah. in effectiveness. But, but still, the, the, the greatest weight of that, and the greatest opportunity, where the money is, is those offline conversations still. I mean, that's what people trust. And, and as you were talking about just before, David, it's our natural language. It's where you get to ask and answer questions. You get to share a story. So that's what matters. And, and so I would say one of the major gaps that business owners and, and business teams have today is they're, they're looking in the wrong place or they're not recognizing I was, I was trying to think of, a, of an analogy. You do a lot of keynote speaking, and, and I, I dare say that uh, oftentimes you go to a big meeting and there's either a big buffet meal or, let's say, a, a cocktail reception at the end sure. of the day. You know, and, and for some groups, the cocktail reception at the end of the day might be the most important event of the entire meeting. So if you thought about, if you walked into this big reception room and there was, say, a bar set up on either side, and lots of people milling about, they're having their conversations and it's loud and you're trying to get to figure where, where I can get a refreshing beverage. And you saw uh, dozens and dozens of people over on one side at one bar and a handful on the other. But if you knew that actually the, where the handful of people were actually might be better stuff, where do you go? Where do you go to, uh, to get what you need? And, um, and so I think that gap in assumption of, of where the immediate growth opportunity is, is something that you can in fact manage with your own people and with your own stuff is in, uh, and again, not saying that the, the digital world isn't important. I think it frames a lot of the way that people think about our businesses, but in terms of actually driving behavior and preference Focus on those, those everyday business conversations sure. with your own employees. Well, and, and I want to talk about, got it. I want to talk about where we find those, but before yeah. I do, I want to sort of draw a clarification because I, I sort of see myself as, as the voice of, of the listener as well. And, and certain things that maybe need clarification because I think what we're also talking about, because there is a lot of focus on online and I think rightly so, but we certainly want to be effective, but there's, there's two aspects of this. One is sort of the promotional opportunities, the engaging conversations, the, the tribe building part. But then there's others which are sort of that defensive posture that is important as well. I think nobody's going to argue, and, and feel free to argue with me, but I think if we're looking at, at those who have something negative to say, I mean, the power today of Yelp and TripAdvisor and Rotten Tomatoes and Glassdoor is profound. I mean, one of the things that I talk about when I speak on stage and consult as well is, you know, we grew up in, in a world where we heard, uh, and, and I know, Jim, you agree with this because we've heard it and everybody else has heard this as well. Basic guest relations philosophy, it's tried and true, it's well-worn. The average person with a positive experience is going to tell two or three people, but somebody with a negative experience will tell 10, right? We've heard every variation of that. Here's the reality today. Today, you have a negative experience, you tell thousands Yes. Today, you tell millions, right? Just drag, drag a paying customer off your airplane 
and see how fast that spreads, right? And so the power of some of these review sites and people who are looking to avoid making a bad decision will access, they'll scroll through, look at some reviews and listen, where, where are we gonna go for dinner? These guys have some shady reviews in the last couple of weeks, let's just go somewhere else. It's devastating to businesses sometimes. Um, but I don't think we look at that for promotional opportunities. I think we look at that to try and mitigate our risk um, though I think we, we talk to people about making sure you encourage people to post positive reviews as well. Tell me what role they play and, and where you see an opportunity to not only make sure that we, we don't ignore those, um, the danger, right. that minefield, but look for great promotional opportunities as well. And one of the things, I'll, I'll connect some dots and they may not be connectable. But you talk a lot about when it comes to how do you keep customers and, and how do you avoid those, those problems? Right. Sometimes leaders are trying to set into place such concrete policies. They get very rigid. They're playing defense. We don't want our frontline people to do anything. Right. All right. God and forbid so, they should make a decision, even if it's a good decision. That's right. right. And so you wind up with this tremendous disconnect uh, from what management is trying to program and, 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 work the dials on to happen in a very consistent, um, almost right. robotic sort of way uh, versus what really happens when people are interacting with one another in a retail space or at a restaurant or whatever the case might be. And sometimes I find that that's a little bit of a mistake when it comes to the messaging part as well. Um, the people can get frustrated, the leadership can get frustrated, and they, they do one of a couple of things, David. They, they either try to overly script it. Right. So, you know, you say only these sorts of things and only these words can come out of your mouth and, and, uh, and the like. And that comes across as, as artificial. Frankly, your best people uh, are, are going to ignore the script. You say, right. well, what, are you, what are you talking about? And, yeah. Well, um, let me give you a quick example. So yeah. we get the, if you call the cable company and you call and complain, the first thing you're going to hear is, oh, I'm very sorry. I know how frustrating that must be. Right. That's the script. Right. Because they're told first show empathy. Well, yeah, I get that, but I don't just solve it for me as well. Sometimes yes. you're right. The overly scripted thing is they'll say that uh, again and again. They're overly scripted. They get frustrated. Why don't my people know more about this? Why couldn't they have responded in a different way? I guess I'll have to try to control it even more. Right. And, and that's a problem. The other thing that can happen, and I find this you know, when you think about the, the messaging part, the conversational part more specifically, is it's so easy to be inconsistent in, in all the different tribes of the organization are saying things in their own way. Uh, you know, the marketing people, marketing communications people, look, I'm a marketer by training. I've been a chief marketing officer. I love my marketing people, but we kind of have our own way. And there is a marketing speak that sometimes doesn't ring true. And the salespeople, if you have, uh, you know, separate sales professionals and, and subject matter experts, you know, they tend to have their own language in the way that they do things. And oftentimes they're not paying attention. They're, the two sides are frustrating one another. And then you think about all the people who may be involved in distribution, maintenance, installation, customer service, and even the so-called back office people, everybody interacts with customers in some fashion. In some way, yeah. Yeah, so, so all of that um, is you wind up having not even a message, you have as many messages as you have people in the organization. Um, I've, had, I've had CEOs or business managers that will go, you know, Jim, if you walked out, our, out of this door and down the hallway and you see 10 people and you ask them our value proposition, whatever that might be, you know, six people would give you six different answers and four people would look at you like deer in the headlights. Yeah, but now, let me ask you, Jim, are, how, 
how cognizant do you think they are? Do you think that's, that's sort of a prevailing blind spot for leadership? Uh, because I, I pose the same question. And do you think leaders generally recognize that people might be on different pages? Or is there an assumption? Is that part of the blind spot that there's an assumption that everybody knows who we are and what we do and how we say it because we had a meeting about it? Because we have, everybody's got the handbook or everybody's got a little card that they put in their wallet or something else. Mm -hmm. um, is it a blind spot? It is a blind spot and it's, it's a frustration. I think that is, um, I, I talk in the book and in my, uh, my talks and my programs about three different symptoms of when you have a messaging problem. And, and one of them is, is, is what I call crickets. The crickets are chirping, you're not growing very well. One is, is commoditization, you sound like everybody else. But the other, and the one that we're speaking with right here, and that's the one that's most visceral, um, and right in front of most managers' faces, I call it cowboys. You know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. They're very autonomous. Right. And, and that's super frustrating. And it also, if you want to grow your business, one thing that, that uh, executives and leaders talk about these days is, I, I need to be able to scale. Well, David, you and I know you can't scale inconsistency. And right. that's where it runs a bit headlong into, we, we see that, that leaders... And, and they're not trying, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to get more consistently good. And that's where sometimes too many policies or things that are a little bit wrongheaded. So my, my prescription, if that's the diagnosis, is to take a little bit different approach. When it comes to the messaging side, it's if you want people to have a consistent conversation about their jobs, about their, their business and their communities, then you need to be able to involve them in the creation of the message. So many times it goes off to an ad agency or a marketing agency and, and I've worked in them and I've, I've hired and fired them. They do great work, but it's its own thing. We kind of say we're going to let some creative folks who don't work in our business to sprinkle magic dust and, and somehow come up with a snappy slogan. Or, yeah, that's or what it is. It gets a little slogany, doesn't it? It we does do get a little slogan. We do blank and blank so you can blank and blank. And it's like, you know what? <laughs> Embroider that on a pillow but it's not good for an authentic conversation, is it? And when I speak to frontline people in, in sales and account service, and again, maintenance, uh, installation and the like, they're generally rolling their eyes. Right. Or they'll say, and I'll, I may say, oh, I, I saw so-and-so, and I go, yeah, that's what the agency came up with, or that's what marketing came up with. It's not them. And so if you want to build more consistency, I'd say don't try to overly script it, business leader, messaging leader is you want to involve the people who you want to deliver that in their natural everyday conversations. Not something they're supposed to memorize, but something they feel. So when we put these programs together, I'm, I'm getting people from marketing and sales, people younger and older who work in, in, uh, in their headquarters and they're in the regions, whatever their, their role might be. And let's capture real people talking about this in a real way and bringing in their experiences of the questions, the pushback and, and the raving fans that you have out in the marketplace. So how do you do it? How do you get them to the point where they are um, communicating effectively and, and authentically? And I know the words are thrown around, but how do you help them find the words that work? Well, it's, it's a listening process and, you know, David, one of the reasons that people will bring in someone like you to uh, speak to their group is just give a fresh perspective, right? Great. I'm going to uh, tell a quick story about how something that can be so obvious 
wasn't really obvious until somebody made it obvious. And then we'll talk a little bit about the, the mechanisms and some, uh, some guidance for your listeners and viewers about how they could bring their own teams together. Um, I mentioned that I left a career in teaching and doing a little consulting and went, I was a chief marketing officer for a while. Our uh, primary brand was a bottled spring water came from one source in Arkansas, near Hot Springs, Arkansas, called Mountain Valley, America's oldest continuously produced brand. And, and it hadn't been doing very well, so we needed to take a look at the messaging behind it. The product was perfect, but the messaging was lousy. And so one of the first things we looked at was the label on some of the bottles. And it had this drawn uh, image, and it had three mountains, snow-capped mountains surrounded by giant evergreens and a river running between them. It said Mountain Valley Spring on the top. So I'm, I'm having a meeting with my, my fellow executives and, and we were talking about some of the changes that we wanted to make in our product portfolio, this, that, the other. And I, I brought out this bottle and I said, um, folks, I think we need to make a change here in this label. Oh, you marketing people, you always want to change the label or the right. logo or whatever. What are you talking about? Well, I said, well, we are all about authenticity. We're all about a natural product um, that is, is pristine and pure from this protected watershed. Right, right, okay, so, I said, so, we have a picture of these three snow-capped mountains, and we talk about how this comes from our spring source in Arkansas. Would anyone here in the room know, where are the snow-capped mountains of Arkansas? Yeah. I, I, have, I haven't seen them yet. Nothing screams Ooh. freshwater like Arkansas. Oh, exactly. And, and the fact is, it's great water. And also, by the way, this picture of a river, um, you know, fish are doing things in rivers. This isn't river water. That's not actually appealing. And it's not true to us. And so all of a sudden, like, yeah, I never really thought about that. So the, 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 to your question and to your bigger point, David, is how do we get people using, how do we get them to be real and authentic and uh, all of that? And it, it comes from some active listening and just a structure of getting people together. Um, part of it is, if you think you're getting stuck, I would say uh, to your listeners, go to some of your best customers, go to your raving fans and, and ask them, why do you like doing business with us? And then shut up. Right. Don't, don't, and, and just see what they say. Ask them, about, where was the time that something went wrong? How did we do, what, what happened? Um, if you were telling a friend about it. So, so get some of their language and, and then also, I would um, very uh, specifically go to people in different parts of your organization and, and let them tell their stories. Um, I had uh, an exercise not long ago where I was with uh, people and they were branch managers of a community bank. And if there's any more commoditized business in the world, yeah, absolutely. Banking, I'm not sure what it is. But we had them get together. Typically, they don't ever meet face-to-face. -face. They're not in the same space at the same time, even though they're cohorts and dealing with very similar types of issues in their, their individual communities. And ask them, I, I prompted everyone beforehand, come with a favorite story about a colleague, not you, but a colleague you thought did something really cool on the job. And then tell me a story about a favorite customer and why. And then we just went around and compared those. And we came out with gold, David. It was really right. good. And people sharing it in the language of their customers and then the, the, the language of, of the people who are providing this service and really caring about their communities. Yeah, yeah, we had to put member FDIC at the end of it, but we had created sure. more conversations and we were reflecting real stories that helped this bank stand out in their community. Now, let me ask you this. How much, how much, uh, how much of a role do you play in calling them out 
because you and I both know that a lot of times for organizations, small businesses, medium and larger, what they think is their differentiator, what they think is their competitive advantage is pedestrian at best. You know, right. we talk and say, you know, it, you know, for us, it, it, at the end of the day, it's about the people. I'm like, really? Do you really believe that? And the, do your people not resemble the people who work for your competitors? My God, they weren't raised on a special customer service island. You know, stop pretending it's, or I, I still see CEOs get in front of their companies and they'll say, listen, folks, at the end of the day, it's about quality. And I'm like, I could not disagree more. At the beginning of the day, it's about quality. Quality is the entry fee, but they get so pedestrian talking about quality and commitment and caring and trust in people. And they think that's a mic drop. You know, why us? Because right. we're better. Really? Do you, you, you honestly believe that? So do you call them out on that? Absolutely. I think you have to in order to serve people yeah. well. And, and I'd say yeah. what, what you described is not a mic drop, it's table stakes. It's, it's, yeah, you say it's kind of the point of interest. They think it's a mic drop. I agree, it's table stakes. I, I will pass along one other gap, um, and I, I, I kind of viscerally get it, um, and it, this actually put some numbers on it. I had access to some research, and it was for sellers, and this was um, higher value business to business. A lot of them were technology products and solutions. So it's, it's within that world. But they, they survey the salespeople, the frontline salespeople for these, and they ask them on a scale of one to 10, their confidence in, first of all, the value of their offerings. And it was on average, I think, 8.1. So, you know, very solid. And, and these days, David, as you've said, if your stuff isn't good, you'll get found out pretty quickly. Most right. companies, their services and their products are pretty good. And so you, it's hard to stand out even for any length of time on your technology or your product quality. But they went back and they asked these same people who are selling the stuff and they asked them their confidence in the messaging behind that. The confidence in the offerings was 8.1. The confidence in the messaging was 3.9 yeah. on that same 10 point scale. Your people likely don't feel confident in what they've been told to say. And so our role, whether we're speaking to a group, whether we're training, consulting, helping them put together their own playbook, is to say, look, your, your people are good and everyone's well-motivated and you are in a competitive space and all these sorts of things, that's not where the answer is. And, and it will work to your benefit if we get real and try right. to find those nuggets that really will help you stand out. And right. when you find those, they do in very short order. Uh, you can stand out again with the same products, same people, the same distribution and with the same pricing. Right. It's got to be differentiated, but it's got to be meaningful to your customers. It's not what we want to say. It's what they want to hear, right? We're all marketing guys. Um, but let me challenge you on something because I want your, your thoughts on this. Because I have a really strong belief that one of, the, one of the most dangerous exercises that sometimes marketing people will do is they'll reach out to all their customers and say, what do you like doing business with us? Now, it, there's nothing wrong with the exercise in itself. It's the application of the information. And here's what I've seen time and time again. And you tell me, and feel free to disagree with me, is oftentimes what they'll hear back is the reason why customers stay but not the reason why somebody came to do business with them in the first place. So um, I, I give you an example, and this is a true story. So there was a, a, um, a CPA firm and they brought in somebody and they said, we're gonna, we're gonna interview your customers and we're gonna find out what they love. And they, kept, and they came back to them and they said, here's what we're hearing over and over again, is that you are um, irreverent, you are exciting and you're fun. Um, 
and and because they have like on, on April 15th every year they they do a they rent a jumpy castle they do a big thing and they have these great relationships they're great people at this firm but they told them they said this is what you need to promote um, oh and it was no it was, it was exciting irreverent and fun so or dynamic I'm going to get this right because I want to make sure <laughs> I want to get exactly right because this is what it is because it's in my it's in my last book visibility marketing dynamic irreverent and fun and so okay. they literally convinced the CPA firm to use that as their slogan. So it's X, whatever CPAs I want to call it, um, uh, irreverent, dynamic, irreverent, and fun. And I'm thinking to myself, if I work with an organization, we've got severe uh, exposure to regulatory issues. I want somebody who's hyper-competent, experienced in this realm, right? And very effective. I'm not looking for somebody who's fun. The reason that people stay with a company oftentimes is not the same reason they came in the first place. How do you help organizations differentiate? Because I think the information is valuable that we glean from our customers, but it's not necessarily our slogan. Yeah, I, I, and by the way, um, and for a CPA firm, I'd, I'd like my CPA to be reverent. There you um, go. Dull as dishwater, as my mom used yeah, to say. And hyper-effective. Uh, I, I want I, a real follower. I could tell you something really funny. So I heard a comedian, he had a great line. I don't want to steal the line. He says, I saw a van for an electrician and the, and the, and the company was called um, creative electric. And he says, I'm thinking to myself, I don't think I want you to be creative. I think I want you to do it exactly the way it's supposed to be done every time. But I think it's a, it's a challenge. And I, and I will call out marketing people on this Yeah, is they tell them and they think that they spit out the answer. There it is. It's right in front of you. You are dynamic, irreverent and fun. And of course that lasted about three months before they changed it back to something that actually worked. How do you glean that information and find a way, because you have more expertise in this than I do, because you work on that specifically. Tell me your process and, and how do you communicate it to them? Yeah, uh, I won't disagree with, uh, with your point, David. And actually, I want to uh, amplify just a little bit. Right. So sometimes if the crickets are chirping, let's say that's, that's a problem. The growth isn't, isn't right. easy. It's just a slog. And oftentimes it's falling on the leader you know, to be the closer or to be the, be the sole voice uh, behind, especially a, a smaller business. Sure. Um, and, and oftentimes you can say that the problem is we're not finding enough new people, you know, enough new customers or clients, in which case I would say uh, very deliberately, as, as you were talking about, find the people who either just chose us or didn't choose us. Yeah, as, as best you can. And, what did and you hear or what didn't you hear? Exactly. Yeah, what didn't you hear? What were you not comfortable with? What could we, you know, what could we have demonstrated a little bit differently? So, yeah, definitely go in and want to do a little, a little research, a little discovery work in the source of the problem. So it, whether it's net new business, I think the going and talking to, uh, to your, your customers, especially longtime customers, is very helpful in the case when the crickets are, you've got a, a big product portfolio and your, your best customers are only buying part of what you offer. Sure. That's very, that's very common. And so whether you're thinking cross-sell, upsell, um, the like, I think that's where you go to the people who you think know you and they probably don't know you. They probably don't know all you have to offer um, or ways that you can help. So I think it also goes really back depends to on what the source of the issue is. Yeah, I think it also goes back to what you said. If, if your people are uncomfortable with the verbiage there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable with upselling and cross-selling. A lot of organizations will tell somebody who is, is in pest control when they go out to sign the deal and they do pest, you know, there's an expectation that they upsell on the subscription models or things like that. If they're not, it's either the value proposition, the wording, right, or a reluctance because of the two. 
Yes. And you have to think about your messengers. So I, all of this is what I would call a three-legged stool. So if you really want to get your people on the same page, have this be a, a, a very durable way that you stand out in the marketplace. You need to have a good message. You need to pay attention to your messengers inside right. and outside your, your business. And you need to have some management habits that will keep it fresh and, and, uh, and keep the flywheel going. Um, I, uh, in a very similar way, David, I was working with an HVAC company, the heating and air uh, folks. And so, um, and doing ride-alongs and, and, and all that, they have a separate sales force. And then they have the people who are out uh, maintaining and fixing equipment and installing things. Right. Well, it became readily apparent. And, and the number was about two, somewhere between two thirds, 70% of their customer conversations were happening with these technical specialists. They call them the techs. They're the people who show up at your door and, uh, and they're fixing things and they're, they're maintaining and all of that. Well, the frustration with this HVAC company who has a leading market share in all of their markets but they have all these other products about uh, you know, humidity control and air filtration, things like that, that they weren't selling quite as well as their, their main business. They thought that was an area of growth. And they were frustrated because they wanted their techs to be able to help upsell, right, and, and be able to offer those sorts of things. Well, these guys, that's not really the way that they're wired so much. They're, they're problem solvers. They're fixers. They're on, often on tight schedules, especially in the summertime. And, um, and the information that they had been given, they began maybe a little product training for a couple hours or something like that. And, and that's not being kind to the messengers themselves, your own people. You're asking them to do something a little bit outside of their comfort zone, a little outside of their training. No one wants to look silly or stupid or, oh, I'm, you know, leave, oh, I'm supposed to hand you this brochure before I leave. Will you, you know, something yeah, and like that. They'll literally say things like that. Yeah. Right. So, I think of it as, as almost, you know, so much of this stuff, and we talk about it in buckets, this is, David, this is a solvable management issue. And you just kind of diagnose the area that, that you want. And so oftentimes it's think of the conversations that you wish were different or that happen more often and reverse engineer them a little bit. So what would a, the pest control representative, you know, what should they need to know, feel, believe, and be on, have on their radar? in order to have that sort of conversation and it not feel salesy or uncomfortable to them, the kind of thing right. they'll actually do and reverse engineer those things, get the pieces together and then have somebody, if you, if you don't do it yourself, then you can bring in somebody to, to help, you know, call things out and, uh, and give you the real deal of what's most likely to be effective for you. You know what I found in talking to people and, and leaders and others and people who have a reluctance to sell. And I asked the question, I said, do your people really have a, a, a firm belief that what you offer, what you provide, enhances people's lives, helps their business, helps their family, helps everything. At that point, you understand you're not being self-promotional. You are, I mean, what's, what's that old, you know, biblical term about hiding your light under a bushel, right? If you know you have information that will be beneficial to them, that would help them make their life better, solve a problem, then you are denying them that opportunity to make things better. You think in your roles, I don't want to be sales. I don't want to be the white shoes and white bell. What's it going to take to get you in this car? Yes, right. right. Nobody wants to be that person. But I think part of it is that belief system, isn't it? That if you know you're helping, then what you're doing, denying them that is harmful for them. So I talk to people who are, who are, who are reluctant. I don't want to be overly promotional. I don't want to brag about what I do, whatever. I said, listen, for everybody who, you know, your biggest source of lost revenue is the customer you didn't know about. 
And if you aren't able to effectively communicate the real benefits of what you do, this is going to, this is going to save you. This, this is going to help you do this. You're going to be able to do this better. Listen, you decide whether or not the, the price is right or whatever, but, but I know this, this is going to help you. It makes it a lot easier to have those conversations, doesn't it? Absolutely. And in our everyday lives, apart from business, I mean, you see a movie that you like, you try a new restaurant and you really enjoy it. What are you going to do? You're going to tell your friends about it, whether you right. maybe social media, but probably when you see them, Hey, David, um, I, I tried this most you know, amazing place. Last time I went to Denver and you've been there. So you do that because it, on the one hand, kind of makes you feel good about it, that you're helping, sure. but you genuinely want to uh, offer somebody an experience or something that you think they would like. So we want to apply that in the same way. We spend so much time and so much energy in our work that uh, sometimes we have to kind of get past ourselves. And again, going back to some points we made earlier, sometimes, even with pure motivations, uh, leadership is trying to overly program it rather than letting people give them a language and a confidence and just enough of a skill and practice so that that sort of thing can happen on its own consistently for the benefit of the business and as you say, for the benefit of your customers. Right. And kind of like a menu of here's the, here's the benefits of what we do. You pick and choose. It's a different arrow in your quiver and you pull out the weapon that works best because that, that, that is authentic, right? I mean, everybody yeah. knows people don't want to be sold to, but I, I think this is, I think what you do is really important. I think it's a, a significant deficiency within organizations because on one hand, they, they are creating great quality products and services. Everybody's good today. Yeah. Um, but there is this, and you and I are in agreement on this, this, this desire to manage it to such extent that we have a greater level of predictability of customer path and journey and buying behaviors and purchase and revenue and profits. And if we can control all of that, then we, have a, we, we know it's going to be spit out on the other end, but it doesn't work that way, right? Because we, we interview people. Right. Here's the other thing that's interesting is we interview people and we go through the process and we and we, we look at their background. We even may, maybe have a face-to-face -face conversation. We say, tell us about a challenging situation. Tell us how you overcame it. Tell you. And then as soon as we hire them, we neuter them. Now, yeah. now just say this and here's the policy. And we're losing the gift that is our staff, aren't we? We are. And, and depending on whether your point of contact with the customer is over the phone, or if it's in a retail location, or in some of the examples we've talked about today with pest control, HVAC, uh, you know, part of the business that I, I worked in before was we were delivering water and coffee and things to people's homes and businesses. They're inviting you into their homes, under their roofs, into their businesses. You're actually having a lot of these people, say for a pest control service, they know their customers by name. Right. These are, these are actual relationships that they have. So I would say, let's free people. Let's pay them the respect of saying, you know, we're not asking everyone to be a salesperson. We're not asking you to be anything that you're not. By the way, and we won't have probably a lot of time to go into the detail on all this, but there is research that surprised me that extroverts are not the most effective salespeople. In, yeah, so, in, because they can, they, can, they can be a little overly pushy and, yeah, I've had to, I've had to temper that part because I, I am that extrovert to the core. Yes. And, um, you know, my, my, my angel of a wife, as we talk, she loves it when I travel because she gets quiet. It's a break. Because I know, I'm like, no, trust me, I live with me. I've, <laughs> I've known me for 55 years. Trust me, I know that this is a challenge. But no, that makes a lot of sense. 
And, and so it's people, if you think about, it's like most characteristics, it's a bit of a bell curve in the population. So you've got your real introverts on one side, real extroverts on the other. They, and, and both of the, the ends of the continuum have their strengths and they have their things in communication that hold them back as well. Introverts are great at picking up context, picking up subtleties. They're oftentimes very good writers. They're very good at helping find the stories in your organization, even if they don't want to be the ones to tell them. The extroverts are, they're the ones that give me the stuff, give me something to get out there. They're bulletproof. They're motivated. Their problem is they tend to not shut up. And right. so um, and they make it a little bit more about themselves. But here's the happy part for if you run a business, most people are in the middle. So it really is a, a bell curve. There's a, a scientific term for this, uh, David, they call it ambiverts, like ambidextrous. Right. Um, both right. And it, it's, um, situa I, it's situational, isn't it? It's situational. I call this group of people the nimble majority because they tend to be uh, in conversation, a little give, a little take. It's, it's uh, they're not pushing an agenda, but they're not hiding in the corner either. Most, uh, they, and these are the people uh, who are best wired for conversation, including business conversation. And most people in your organization are likely in the middle because that's just the way that it works. So most of us are naturally wired to be able to do this. So coming back to the other point, paying people the respect of saying, you don't have to be something different than you are. We right. want to incorporate your language, your stories, your perspective in all of this. And then your job as a manager, your job as a, as a leader is to match the message and the messengers. And so keep it fresh, knowing that people, new people will come into your organization. You'll have some people who have been worker bees and all of a sudden they're going to be a manager. They have direct reports. So they need to be able to model and coach these sorts of things. The stories are going to change. The facts will change. So are you doing enough to engineer this process? You're letting it happen, but you're also managing these conversations in terms of keeping it fresh, keeping it relevant, making sure we're not talking about ourselves all the time. Uh, we're talking in, in a language that customers and potential customers find relevant. No, no better person to uh, help us manage the message. Great information, great food for thought. Uh, you're going to want to pick up the brand new book. It's called The Science of Customer Connections, Managing Your Message to Grow Your Business. I am uh, thrilled to be joined here by Dr. Jim Carr. And I'm going to give you the spelling again. It's K-A-R-R-H. So you can look him up. Uh, Jim, if they want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? By the way, and I know uh, David Averin, no one has ever misspelled your last name. No, gee, never. <laughs> my, mine's even worse. It's a consonant explosion. I can tell you that I like the first 50 pages of Google, if you get it right. I also bought domain names for most of the common misspellings. Oh, the misspellings. That's smart. So there you are. <laughs> Uh, but if you go to jimcar.com or uh, manage the message podcast.com or, or any misspelling that'll be there, you can find all about speaking and programs. I have a, a weekly uh, tip. I, I say newsletter, but it really isn't. It's not news about me. It's some brief tips that you can use uh, called a um, message manager memo. And I have my own podcast. This is, thing is pretty cool. By the way, everyone, one of my best episodes was with this guy named David Averin. Oh, I heard it was good. About, he I was heard it was good. Book. Yeah. yeah, it was terrific. It's, it's called the Manage Your Message podcast. And uh, so there are all sorts of resources there. And you can even see a sampler for the book uh, on the website as well. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us. I want to remind everybody that the Very Visible Business podcast is sponsored by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. Your next million dollar idea will likely come from your own team, but only if you create the space for challenging 
powerful internal conversations. <clears throat> you can learn more um, and how membership in the Customer Experience Advantage can give you the content, questions, and tools to facilitate your weekly morning huddle with your team. You can learn more and watch sample videos, um, video lessons by visiting thecxadvantage.com. So once again, thanks for listening. Be sure to click to like this podcast, hit the subscribe button. You'll hear about every new episode that we have. And to see the video version of this interview and learn more about my speaking, my consulting, you can visit me online at visibilityinternational.com. And also be sure to pick up a copy of my new book. Um, it is Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. It's in hardback, it's on Kindle, it's on Audible as well in my own voice as is all of my books and everything else. And uh, I appreciate you listening in. Be sure to tune in next time. Look for some past episodes as well. And I appreciate it. See you later. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theverybusiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.